the mighty fortress walls I have built around my foolish heart How they crumble and they fall As I surrender Bitter stains Holy love remains As I'm forever changed By mercy's arms Sweet the surrender Forgiveness to one forever Undeserving of his grace Safely encircled Rested and warmed Sweet as the taste of love that awaits in mercy's arms. In the light, the life, the way is the key Unlocking every chain Sin is lost and freedom's gain The price was paid by mercy's arms Sweet the surrender Forgiveness to one forever Undeserving of his grace Safely encircled Rested and warmed Sweet as the taste of love that waits in mercy's arms. When I reach my journey's end, 
how I hope that he will call me friend and reach out for me again forever spent in mercy. Think we ought to say amen again. Amen. Think we ought to say amen one more time. Amen. Thank you so much for both selections. Just reminding us of that which we need to be reminded of. That it's not about us. It's all about him. We live in a world where people try to lift themselves up. And in this world that seemingly is a prescription for success, how many you can step on to get to where you have to go, but that's not what it's about. And you reminded us what it says in the book of John, where Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, all women, all boys, all girls unto me. Thank you so much for lifting him up so that our hearts and souls could be drawn unto him. It is indeed a privilege, and I do mean a privilege, for me to be here with you this Sabbath, next Sabbath, and the week in between. I am overjoyed for a lot of reasons. I've thoroughly enjoyed the worship today. I've enjoyed the music. I've enjoyed the camaraderie. It reminded me of uh, the church I left back home. And when I say home, I mean the Bethany Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bridgeton, New Jersey, where I grew up. And it's been a long time since I've been able to have that kind of feeling again. Mm-hmm. And to be able to worship with you two Sabbaths in a row, I think my cup will be filled and I can continue on in my journey. I wish to thank your pastor and my friend, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Thank you for your leadership in so many areas and all that you do. And thank you so much for the invitation your pastoral staff are always so encouraging. I thank you gentlemen as well. Pastor Wayne, your music, your friendship, your everything that makes you you, I appreciate and value you greatly. And Pastor Russell Lewars, every time there is a youth event, you seem to be there. And I praise God for that. And, and, and I, I, I don't tell you this much, because I'm not at a, you know, but you are right with me. <laughs> we'll leave it right there. Amen.
And we're also blessed. Uh, Sister Rosa, I saw you somewhere. There you are. Hi. You go with him on these things. That is so cool. I like that. That is just, mm, what a team you guys got. Man, that is all right. I can appreciate that. I appreciate the children's ministry that goes on in this church. There are many congregations that do not see the value in children. They would not tell you that, but their actions seem to indicate so. We've even moved away in some places from children's story. And uh, Sabbath school, the Sabbath school rooms are, have become storage rooms for other things that have been moved around, showing the children just how valuable we really think you are. But not so here. And I praise God because the children are the lifeblood of the church. They are the future of the church. They are the now of the church. And if you invest in them now, you will reap the benefits later. I guarantee it. I'm also grateful for your Pathfinder Club under the leadership of uh, Mr. Adrian. Adrian, you're a man amongst men. And I admire you. When I first came into the position, you sent me this long email. I saved it. Telling me what we needed, what you expected, and what I need and better do. <laughs> Two years later, I still have it. I, I refer to it every now and then. At first, I thought, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, I said, wow, they got some tough ones there in Las Vegas. But... <laughs> But our, our, our relationship has grown, and I appreciate you so much so that Adrian is now uh, the Las Vegas representative for the conference as far as Pathfinder ministry goes. And I, I praise God that you, for your willingness and accepting that responsibility. I bring you greetings from the Nevada Utah Conference Office. Our president, Larry Unterseer, sends his greetings. Regional coordinator, Kingsley Palmer, sends his. I also bring you greetings from the love of my life. My, I don't have any words that can aptly describe because there are none to describe her royal loveliness. My dear bride, of 16 wonderful years, Connie. She is singing in the Sparks Seventh-day Adventist Church up in Sparks today, but she sends her greetings and next Sabbath or Thursday next week by the grace of God. I hadn't seen that girl in a while, you understand. <laughs> Thursday, she said she'll fly here and uh, she'll, she'll, she'll come see me. Because when I'm done here, I'm flying to Montreal, Canada to do a week of prayer. So I'm not going to really get a chance to see her. But she'll fly here Thursday. So I'll have Thursday, Friday, Sabbath, hallelujah, and Sunday with a praise God for four days. Amen. My son sends his greetings. He's not flying here next week. That's okay. <laughs> 
He is on the program right now at the Reno Seventh-day Adventist Church where his school, the Silver State Adventist School, is putting on the program. So David Jr. is there, but he would send his greetings as well. There are a few things that I just need to say before we delve into it. I want to tell you some of the things that will be happening in this area and in particular that will affect you from my departments in the Nevada-Utah Conference. I'm responsible for every department with the exception of women's ministry, stewardship, and community service. Other than that, everything else falls under my responsibility. Praise God for that. And while we have moved slow in the two years that I have been here, or it seems slow, with the 13 departments that I am responsible for, yeah, it seems like it was slow. But we have made progress in a lot of areas, and your prayers and support are and will be appreciated. I have five things I want to tell you, then we're going to get into this thing today. January 8th and 9th, there will be a youth young adult rally held here in Las Vegas where all of the young people from all of the Adventist churches and wherever else they want to come from are invited. You will have a poster mailed to you. You can put it up in church with more of the details, but the date is January 8th and 9th, where we want to welcome in 2010 in the right way. And our young people will go out and do community service. After the church service, they will go out and feed the homeless. And we praise God for that. And it will be followed with uh, activities throughout the afternoon and then just a good old-fashioned social to wrap up that Saturday night. That is January 8th and 9th. You will be receiving details. March 19th and 20th, the North American Division Family Ministry Department will be converging here in Las Vegas at my invitation Elder Willie Oliver, the director of family ministries for the NAD, and his wife Elaine will be coming here to the Hilton Garden Inn, Las Vegas, Henderson, to put on a two-day marriage retreat. It is conference-wide. I have discounted the price for those uh, that will be coming from Utah and Reno area. But if you live here, you can stay at home. And you can just come on. The cost is $39 per couple. And you will get a half a day. No, you'll get Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Three days with Elder Willie and his wife, Elaine Oliver. And I really, really, this is the first family ministry venture we're trying. And we're, we went big on this one. And I really, really would appreciate it if you, you understand what I'm saying if you would support this effort and as many married folk as possible come and support what we're trying to do as we work towards building our families then the Pathfinder Campery will be May 13 through 16 here in Las Vegas summer camp will be June 6 through 13 in uh, Castle Valley, Utah. I am making arrangements if your young people and 
that will be entering grades five through eight want to come and have a summer camp experience, I'm making arrangements for a bus to come down, pick them up, drive them to Utah. They will have a good time. And, and, and I digress. Let me say, the president told me this and I didn't really, you know, he said it. I said, oh, that's cool. But then he said, then we tried it and I saw, I've done two summer camps so far. He said, David, whenever you have a summer camp, 25% of the young people that go make decisions for Jesus Christ and they are baptized. So then it was my time to do it, you know, and so I'm you, you feeling a little pressure, you know, you're like, whoa, 25%, eh? <laughs> but by the grace of God in the last two, more than 25% of those that have attended made a decision for Jesus Christ. If you have a young person entering grades five through eight at the end of this, this school year, we will send buses down and they will be able to go to camp. And I know they will have a Holy Ghost good time in Jesus and they'll have a lot of fun meeting new people as well. Last thing, I'm done. October 28 through 31, we will have our well, in my tenure here, the first conference-wide men's ministry retreat. It will be held in Grass Valley, California. We have secured the location and the speaker. The details are still, because it is a year away, there are still some details to be worked out. But October 28 through 31, the Nevada-Utah conference will be putting on its own men's ministry retreat. Can you say amen? amen? All right. Well, that's all I wanted to say about that. If you have a Bible, can you just join me in turning to the book of Acts? And I want us to look again at the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. We'll look at verses 11 through 16. Our theme for the week for our time together is only one thing is needed. And if you look in the book of Luke 10, 42, not right now, but if you look there and, and through those passages, Martha is busy doing this and that and the other, and she's frustrated because her sister is just sitting there. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you worried about all this stuff, but only one thing is needed. And this week, over the course of time, we're going to describe different aspects of our Adventist fundamental beliefs, but it will all point to that one thing that's needed, and that's a living, breathing, vibrant relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Starting with verse 11, reading from NKJV. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14, And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, 
Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Verse 16, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I invite you to pray with me as we talk now on the topic, making the devil nervous. Making the devil nervous. Let us pray. And now, God, our Father, you have already been worshipped today. We worshipped you through hearing of our community activism. You were worshipped through the children's story. You were worshipped in Sabbath school. You were worshipped through prayer. You were worshipped through song. You were worshipped by our giving back that which was rightfully yours. And now, Jesus, it is time for us to sit back and hear a word from you. Disappoint us not. You know what we need. Deliver it the way you feel it should be delivered. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Making the devil nervous. There was a television show from 1982 to 1993. I liked this show. If I remember correctly, it came on Thursday nights at 9 o'clock. It was called Cheers. Maybe you've heard of it. Or you've seen it at Nick, on Nick at Night, for those of you that are younger. <laughs> the show was set in a Boston bar. And those who went to the bar named Cheers, uh, they somehow became household names because people watched the show so much. Uh, the people that were characters there became larger than life. Who could forget every time that certain accountant came into the bar and everyone would shout, Norm, as soon as he would walk in. Perhaps the most popular uh, refrain in TV show history was the theme song. From Cheers, which went, making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> and they're always glad you came I can't sing, help me, pray for me You want to be where you can see Troubles are all the same You want to go where everybody knows your name And you know what makes that song so special? That's true you like to be where people know your name. If somebody remembers who you are, it makes you feel good. Now, you know somebody don't remember your name when they roll up to you, Hi, brother. <laughs> Elder, good to see you. What's up, Doc? 
Yes, because we have no clue. How you doing, friend? You don't know who I am. You giving me that thing. Or they do that, hey, uh, 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 until you say your name. People be doing that with me. I just wait. They're, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 back, you know. You don't know my name, do you? I don't like you. You feel good when people know who you are. Because it makes it seem as though someone cares. It makes you feel significant when they know your name. Because your name is something specific to you. It's your identity. My name is David Solomon Hall. I'm one of the few people in life that got to name himself. I had a different name for the first nine years of my life. And then Lillian Hall, my great-grandmother, legally adopted me. And she said, what do you want your name to be? I told her, that David part, I like that. Because he did the giant thing, you know. And I didn't have a middle, oh, there it is, right there. Oh, I just love that name. I picked it out myself. That, I did, too, January 23rd, 1979. It's been 30 years. Amen. Solomon, I said I want Solomon to be my middle name because he was David's son, and he had wisdom. And I had heard in church that your name uh, uh, signifies what kind of person you will be, the meaning of your name. So at age eight, I wanted to be wise. So I said Solomon. And then she said, do you want to keep your last name or do you want mine? I said, I want yours. And so David Solomon Hall. My name means something to me. And I don't like it. When people spell my name wrong. How do you spell it wrong? S-A-L-O-M-O-N. Salomon or something like that. What is that? Or Solo Man. I don't like that. Or David Hall. They use every vowel but A, you know. H-U-L-L. David Hill. David Hole. I went to a church and looked in the bulletin. I'm preaching. They had David Hell in there. So Pastor Hell is preaching. <laughs> Somehow I felt like they didn't feel that the Spirit of the Lord would be leading through me that day. <laughs> We're going to talk about names today. And the value of certain people knowing your name. And how we should expect every entity alive to know our name. The setting of this scripture finds us in the city of Ephesus. Acts of the Apostles, page 286, says Ephesus was not only the most magnificent, but the most corrupt of the cities of Asia. Superstition and sensual pleasure held sway over her teeming population under the shadow of her temples. Criminals of every grade found shelter, and the most degrading vices flourished. 
Ephesus was a popular center for the worship of Diana. The fame of the magnificent temple of Diana of Ephesus extended all throughout Asia and the world. Its surpassing splendor made it the pride not only of the city, but of the nation. Tradition says that the idol within the temple fell from the sky. And it had characters on it which they believed possessed great powers. Many magicians would come and study these books and this superstition had the people just enveloped. They believed any and all things that the magicians and the people would say. And people would desire that type of magic because if you had that magic, you didn't have to do that work thing. People would just come to you, give you a few shekels or whatever they had back then. You tell them a little this, little of that, boom, you make a living just like that. So here we have Paul, the man of God, going into the city of Ephesus, a city known for its black magic, a city where the stranglehold of Satan was seemingly so strong that there was no hope of Christ ever making a foothold. Yet we find Paul there ministering. And the Bible talks about how he was given special tokens of divine favor. It said that even the handkerchiefs, that he touched would heal people. It was said that if he walked past you, here's my shadow, if my shadow just touched you, power would come from my shadow and heal you because he was so in tune with God. Those were the types of things that happened and God needed something spectacular to happen in a city like that to capture the people's attention I'd like to suggest to you that we hear that and we say wow yay Paul good on you mate as they say in Australia good job Paul but as we look around us we may just see another city where the stranglehold of Satan is so strong that it may seem as though Jesus Christ may never gain a foothold. We may see another type of city as we look around where Jesus may need to use you and use me to do something so spectacular to capture the people's attention to let them know that he is still God. Yeah, there are a lot of cities in America like that, but let's take a look at one in particular. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Las Vegas. <laughs> the city with many nicknames. The entertainment capital of the world. Sin City. Not promising if you want to go into ministry here, I'm sure. The capital of second chances, lost wages, the marriage capital of the world, the city of lights, when it's described 
it seems as though it's such a spectacular place. People flock from all over just to be here and find the allure that is Las Vegas. What about 6.6% of the families that live here and almost 9% of the population live well below the poverty line? 5.4% of those under the age of 18 live below the poverty line. 6.3% of those aged 65 or older live below the poverty line. Las Vegas has one of the highest suicide rates in the United States of America and one of the highest divorce rates. Some say that's because people come here to get divorced. There's truth in that. But there's also a lot of allurements that if you're not strong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Las Vegas was a booming place in 2000. More than 21,000 new homes and 26,000 resale homes were purchased. In early 2005, there were 20 residential development projects purchased of more than 300 acres. During that same period of time, Las Vegas was considered one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing community in the United States of America. But alas, a recession came. And the accompanying business downturn has sent business and growth tumbling with Las Vegas recording one of the highest home foreclosure rates in the country. The disappearance of disposable consumer income and the backlash against corporate entertainment spending has sent the hospitality industry into a tailspin that it is yet to recover from. So we look at Las Vegas. We see the glam and glamour, but we also see the pain for those that are there. And I'd like to suggest to you today that the people in this town, the people in this community need for Paul's to come and tell them a word about the Lord. It is one thing, it is one thing to have your church and to do all of your in-reach activities. It is one thing to get everything bubbling and burning and say, hey, look at what we're doing for us. We're building from within. But you cannot fulfill the gospel commission by talking to each other. You cannot fulfill the gospel commission by putting a sign up somewhere saying come here for six weeks. We having meetings when you don't talk to anybody the other 46 weeks out of the year. You can't bring people in when you act as though who they don't exist. You treat people like the gum on the bottom of your shoe. You act ill. I don't want to associate, affiliate with you.
We can no longer afford to be like the ostrich with our heads in the sand. It's time for us to be Paul's. It's time for us to go and and let our salt change the flavor of the place where we are. We have to think about the people here as though they are family. Because they are our family. We are all brothers and sisters. I I think that a lot of you, you like your families. If you got kids, you like most of them. You know, there's that one or two, I guess, that uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I know, I know there's one in every bunch. But as a whole, you generally like your family. I have a son. People say I mention him in every sermon. That's what you said yesterday, Pastor Russell, when I spoke for the Abundant Life School. He somehow finds a way to get his son in every sermon. Yes, I do. I love my son, 13, 5 foot 11. You put me and my wife together and maybe we're 5 foot 11. But he's a big guy. And I'm concerned about him. Before uh, uh, I accepted the call to come here in 2007, my wife was working for Andrews University. She was finishing her 10th year. She stayed. I came here, she stayed in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Michigan is not Nevada. You can't walk to Michigan. (laughs) And those plane tickets were expensive and I actually worked while here, so I went a year without seeing her. Lord, have mercy. And I went a year without seeing my son. And I know she's, you know, that's his mother. She loves the Lord. But I'm his dad. I represent what God the Father should be in his life. He looks to me and I'm doing this telephone thing with him. He went to school, you know, and I I just wondered. I know it was one of the best Adventist schools that was out there. Yeah, that's cool. He had Christian teachers. That's nice. But I wasn't there. And he'd call me dad. Because, you know, the teachers are Christian, and the students come from Christian homes, but sometimes they share things that they may not have gotten from their Christian home, or maybe they did. <laughs> and he'd say, Dad, and he would proceed to tell me things that's going on, and I'm saying, Lord Jesus And this happened three days ago, and nobody was there to talk to my son. Nobody was there because he didn't tell his mom. (laughs) I don't know why. Guess because she wasn't me. And I just wanted somebody to say something to him to get him on the straight and narrow. My son said to me, He'd be mad if I told you this. That's okay. He ain't here. (laughs) Said, Dad, this Adventism thing, this being a Christian, that's not for me anymore. 
This is my son. I'm Pastor Hall. I am the youth director for the conference. I lead young people to Jesus. Put programs in my flesh and blood. I got a, a PSP thing on layaway for this boy. I'm paying $55 every two weeks because he went and took it. He went. I said, don't take it with you. He took it anyway. Somebody stole it. Then he said, Dad, if you hadn't brought me there, it wouldn't have got stolen. I said, if you would have left it in the car like I told you. So now I'm paying $55 in two weeks to lay away to surprise them for Christmas. Ooh, I don't want to be a Christian, and you better be a Christian. You know how much money I'm putting in you. Seeing these things, and, and, and I just want, I want somebody, somehow, some way to pour something into him. I wanted that then. Now he's with me, and some of the residue is still there, and I'm working, and I can't do it by myself, and I want somebody somewhere to say something to him. God is in heaven. He's looking at his children going to casinos, going to bars, going with those, those people when they flip those cards, you know, and you grab one and you, ooh, here's my blessing right here. And he's looking at this, and he wants someone to go and say something. Someone to tell him. The way you're going is the wrong way. He's calling each of us to go into Ephesus. But when we go into Ephesus, we got to go in there the right way. Sometimes we do stuff because we want people to pat us on the back. We do stuff we want to get in positions in the church because we want to be up front. And we want everybody to say, boy, did you do a good job. Oh, yay, you. And we get our esteem. Some places, I know it don't happen here, but in some churches, people be fighting for stuff and trying to assassinate the characters of people just so they, I was head deacon, my grandfather was head deacon, my great-grandfather was head deacon, and I'm going to be head deacon too. It's a family thing. What? Pride in that. We got to go into this thing of going into Ephesus in the right frame of mind. These men, these Jewish exorcists, these sons of the priests did not go into it in the right frame of mind. They went into it because they saw it as a way to make easy money. And they wanted to make themselves look good and make their pockets fat with the shekels. When you go into certain things, you can't, can't just go into it just to get yourself hyped up. I had preached. I was one of the week of prayer speakers at the Oakwood College Church back in 1992. The students voted me to speak. I said, hey, that's cool. I preached. I was young then. This is the only time this has ever happened to me in my life. And my wife has never forgotten this. Trust me, she hasn't. Every year on the anniversary of it, she... <laughs> so, David, do you remember February of 1992? I'm like, oh, I just hope the day one year will go by without her memory. Oh, she's like an elephant. Not looking, but she's mentally. 
I know, I realized when I said that, because it's on tape, she's going to want to watch this. You're beautiful, honey. <laughs> yeah, she'll see that on the DVD. But I preached at the Oakwood College Church, and all these people came up for baptism, and everywhere I walked on campus, people were talking about my sermon, and all these older people were saying, we're going to buy tapes of your, because they didn't have CDs back then, we're going to have tapes of your sermon, and they were all like, and this made me feel good, Dr. Rock. I was like, look at this great Babylon I have built. I was like Nebuchadnezzar up in that piece. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Look at me. Someone came and said, would you like to preach at my church? I said, yes. I will grace your church with my presence because I have spoken at the Oakwood College Church. I am somebody. I didn't even write the sermon. It was the day before. It was Friday, but because I had spoken at the Oakwood College Church, I said, I'm fine. I will just get up in the morning about three, and I will put this together. My phone rung at five minutes to eight. I answered it. It was the pastor to take me to the church because it was some distance away. So much for getting up at three to write the sermon. I looked at my notes, and all I had were lines on the blank sheet of paper. I had to write it on the fly. I got up to preach, and a fight broke out in church. (laughs) These two little kids started punching each other. You know when you're not really together, something like that can distract you? I was a little distracted. Then I was telling a story, because I grabbed it from another sermon I had done, and I left two pages at home in the dorm. So I was in the middle of a good part of the story, and everybody was, I finally hit on a point, you know, and everybody was, and then I looked, and the rest of it wasn't there, and I couldn't remember it. So I looked at him and said, you don't need to know how it ends. All you need to know is Jesus saves. My wife said to me, that was the year before we got married. She said, if you ever do anything like that again, June 20th of 93 will not happen. Don't you ever embarrass me. They gave me a tape of that sermon. She recorded over it. She said, I don't ever want the memory of that again. Now I go into it just a little bit better. I talk to the Father, and I've never forgotten that it's not about me. It's all about him. But these men thought it was about them, so they roll up on this demon-possessed fella. This is stupid. Don't ever do this, okay? Don't do this. They roll up on a demon-possessed guy. Because they want, and they got the little crowd back there. They like, look at what we about to do. See that dude over there? Demon possessed. We the seven sons of Skeva. <laughs> hey, demon, guess what? We got this. We exercise you. We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Perhaps you didn't hear me, demon, because nothing is happening. I adjure you, but in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon looks at them like they're crazy. 
Did somebody say something? <laughs> Did you hear anything? No, I, who is this guy? So finally, one of them said, uh, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Now, I know Jesus. I know this Paul fella. <laughs> who are you? And then the Bible say that the demon-possessed fella jumped on them and beat all of them. There's seven of them. He took them all on top, hop, 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 doing all kind of stuff, all them jujitsu moves and all this stuff like he's WWF or something. And then he left them naked and bleeding. And everybody was like, whoa, we ain't messing with Jesus' name again. How did, the, how did Paul get that way where his name was in the character of Jesus' name. Why did the demons know Paul? We know why they knew Jesus, but what was up with Paul? You see, Paul and God had an intimate relationship with each other. And it was because of this relationship that he was able to go in the presence of the enemy and the enemy could recognize who he was. Connie and I, I bring her up in every sermon too, Pastor Russell. Connie and I, I've used her at least five times today. Connie and I, the girl can finish my sentences. I just look at her and she tells, I'm preaching, she just do like this. And I know what I'm supposed to do when I'm preaching. She just tells me stuff. I can tell when I'm wrong, when I'm right, whatever. Because we have an intimate relationship. Your relationship with the one you love more than anything else, Jesus Christ, should be so deep that he should be able to whisper things inside of you so that his presence is inculcated within you so that you can walk in the presence of the enemy and the enemy won't have to ask any questions about who you are I don't know about you this morning but I want to register a blip on hell's radar I want to be like the 80s uh, TV show fame devil baby remember my name I want you to know who I am because I'm gonna live forever I'm gonna learn how to fly high when Jesus comes Baby, you better remember my name. I want you, devil, to put an APB out on me. All points bulletin. I want you to be concerned about that all fella. I don't want any question marks when I go in front of him. Who's that? I want him to know who I am. I don't have time to be playing around, playing church like the seven sons of Sceva. I don't have time to be arguing over foolish stuff. I went to the doctor. Doctor told me, I'll tell you, doctor told me, David, you got this incurable heart disease. That thing shook me up. I said, well, uh, hmm, what does that mean? He said, it means there's no cure. <laughs> okay. That's what he said. I said, okay. And so for a while, I couldn't preach anything anymore, you know. But they gave me, they said, David, the way it is, you could live another 20 years. That's what we'll give you. I said, well, look at this. I'm 39. 39 plus 20, 
59. So let's just round it up to 60. That's good. So to me, I figure I got 20 more years to do this thing. And years start going by quick. Once you leave high school, whoosh, next thing you know, you're 39. I'll be 40 in a couple of months. Wow. When did that happen? I don't have time to wait around. You don't have time to wait around and argue over foolishness. You want the devil to remember your name. There are two ways, two things I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to stop. Ways that, that you can have the devil to remember your name. These are two steps I'm going to give you that will make the devil nervous. Step number one. Step number one, believe in the name of Jesus. Believe in the name of Jesus. Now, you could say, I believe Jesus. I believe in him. Yeah, the demons do too. Okay? The Bible says the de- in James 2.19, even the demons believe and tremble. Okay? I'm not talking about believe he exists. I'm, I said believe in him. Believe in what he can do. Put him to the test. Call on his name. Believe that he can and will do that which he said he will do. Believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. I was in my car. Do I want to? No, I don't want to tell that one. I'll tell this one. I was, I'll tell this one. This was Wednesday night, but I'll change it Wednesday. It's okay. I was in my house. Some of you have heard this before. And I was working with this demon-possessed girl. And her demon had told her she was going to kill me. The demon was going to kill me. I'm in my house. Next thing I know, I hear this thing in my house. David. I said, oh, shoot. <laughs> what could this be? Because Connie's voice wasn't quite that deep. Well, it's not deep at all. And David Jr., you know, he hadn't gone through puberty yet. So his voice wasn't deep. And they kept, David. Next thing I know, this thing rolled up on me. This shadowy-like thing. I said, oh, and I pulled the cover over my head in Jesus' name. A lot of things can happen when you pull the cover over your head. Amen. Next day, I saw her. She said, Pastor Hall. I said, yeah. She said, they didn't get you last night, but they're going to get you tonight because he's really mad. I cut every Christian song on in my house. I got 12 Bibles. I open all them jokers up in my house. This happened in 2001. I'll never forget this, Elder. Never, ever, ever. Eight years ago, next day, that night, that demon rolled up in there again. I hear, in my house. I pulled the cover over my head again when he started calling me. I said, I got you, baby. <laughs> me and Jesus under the cover. Apparently, he wanted to see Jesus because he snatched the cover off my head. You talk about scared. I was scared. I was beyond scared. They don't teach you that in pastor school, how to handle these kind of things. And I'm sitting there face to face with this thing. I'm, 
And he began to choke me. I didn't intend to tell this today, Jesus. He began to choke me. I don't know why you're making me do it. He began to choke me. And I'm saying, ooh, ooh, ooh. Because he mad. Because he owned her. And I had the audacity to work with her to try to set her free. And I thought there's something about the name of Jesus. And I got to say something about him. So I, I, I opened my mouth to say his name. And that joker pulled out his third hand. Bam! I don't know where it came from. Bam! Covered my mouth. Said you ain't going to say nothing. And I'm sitting there and I'm feeling the life ooze out of me. I'm 31 years old and I'm scared to death because my wife, she lying there. She had no clue. I looked up at her and she was. She'd have woke up. What happened to him? She'd have had no idea. But in my mind, I got to finish. In my mind, in my mind, I said, Lord Jesus, I can't go out like this. I can't go out like this. And so I started talking to him. And 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 the more I talked to him, I started feeling the hand move from off my, my face. And it started moving back. Oh, Jesus, I didn't mean to get this excited. And it started moving. And then I just felt something come inside of me and I just scream to the top of my voice Jesus oh there's something about the name of Jesus and when I said it when I said oh I promised myself I wasn't gonna get excited today when I said his name Saw the thing, I, I, I was all the way down here where he had pushed me down on the bed. I rose back up to the level with my wife. I saw it whoosh, go out quick. The room temperature was freezing. It suddenly was warm in there again, and the joker slammed the door. I only got a few things in my house. One thing, Lillian Hall taught me this. She said, don't ever slam a door. It ain't your house. Don't slam my doors. David Jr. slammed the door one time, and we had company over. I had to go in and remonstrate with him. You don't slam no doors. You own this house. That demon went out and slammed the door. I didn't bother with him, though. I said, you cool. I ain't tell him don't ever do it again because that meant he would have to come back. So I just said, you cool, you cool, you cool. And let it be. There is power when you believe in the name of Jesus. There's something about that name, Jesus. When you just say it, it just flows so melodically off of your tongue. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Woo! Oh, you got to stop, David. Here we go. Here we go. My name doesn't mean much. My name means something to me and my son, David Solomon Hall Jr. Amen. I told him, said, when you have a son, we go interview all potential candidates. If she agree, she the one. David Solomon Hall III, that's what I'm talking about. We got to make sure. <laughs> Amen. You think I'm kidding. I was dead serious when I told him that, and I still am too. 
They have all girls. They can have 12 girls. I don't care. Keep trying. I, I, I said it to him too. <laughs> I meant it too. <laughs> now, my name doesn't mean that much. So if you put a basketball in my hand, all it's worth is whatever the sticker says on it in Walmart. But if you put a basketball in Kobe Bryant's hand, when he holds a basketball, suddenly people pay $75 million. A football in my hand is worth about $10. But in the hands of my favorite quarterback of my favorite team in the NFL, Donovan McNabb, amen, I'm an East Coast kid, it's worth $5 million. A baseball bat in my hand is worth $30, but in the hands of Albert Pujols, it's worth 90 A steering wheel in my hand is worth $25, but in the hands of Jeff Gordon, it's worth $49 million. A tennis racket in my hand, why would I hold one of those? But a tennis racket in my hand is worth $35, but Roger Federer can get a million dollars just for hitting a ball across a net. A golf club, maybe if you held it, Elder, it'd be worth something, but a golf club in my hand is useless because I can't even hit it off the tee. You're going to have to teach me how to do that one day. But it's worth 15 but if you give it to Tiger Woods, it's worth $150 million. Uh, A set of nails in my hand. (laughs) A set of nails in my hand. A set of nails in my hand. They're just worth 13 cents. But if you put a set of nails in the hands of Jesus, priceless words can't compare to what it is when you put the nails in his hand. The name of Jesus in on the lips of someone who doesn't believe in him means nothing. But to the weakest believer, all they have to do is say his name. And they're stronger than anything that may come their way. Second thing, second way whew, that the devil will know your name. The second way that you can make him nervous is to live in the name of Jesus. Live in the name of Jesus. You see, the devil didn't always know Paul's name. At one time, he was killing Christians. So he's like, he's cool, whoever he is. He's cool. He's cool. Have one encounter with Jesus. Get knocked down, had a little blind thing happening for a couple days. Come back, name changes. Saw Paul start preaching, suddenly he gets hell's attention. We have to live in the name of Jesus. And when you're doing it, you don't have to advertise it. I'm Chris Christian, look at me. You don't have to, you know, I, 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 I see people, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Okay, that's nice, good for you. I, I used to go to somebody, i say, hey, what's up? Because that's how, you know, we brothers talk. Hey, what's up? Jesus, that's what's up. Like, Shut up, okay? 
Everything got to be like that, you know? How's your girlfriend doing? Jesus blessed her. Shut up. Live your life, man. Stop trying to act like something you're not. You don't have to advertise you a Christian. By their fruits, you shall know them. People will see it. If I knew karate, which I don't, but if I did, I wouldn't walk around with my black belt all the time. But you would know, mess with me. Hi-ya! I get you. You may not know that I don't have to advertise I'm a Christian, but mess with me, and I got you. Woo-hoo! Mm. Second thing with that. When you live in the name of Jesus, people ought to feel comfortable around you. Little children came and sat on Jesus' lap. There's some people, a kid will run from you if they see you. Ah! Because they know how you is. You want to run from yourself. People ought to feel comfortable around you. If you want your picture up in hell's post office, if you want the devil to know your name, if you want to make him nervous, you got to live for Jesus and live in his name. As a result, as a result of what took place, those folks there in Ephesus, there was a change that came in that town. As a result of what the demons did. As a result of the seeds that Paul had planted. The Bible says that people got those witchcraft books. Thank you. And they threw them in the fire. All of that that they used to do. There was a change that came to even the worst possible town. If that can happen for them, what can happen for you and for me? I want the devil to know my name. I want him to say David Solomon Hall and I want his blood pressure to rise. I want him to get nervous when he thinks about me. But hey, hey, hey. I want him to get nervous when he thinks about you. I don't just want it. I need it. Because this gospel must be preached in all the world to a witness to every nation. And then the end will come. And I'm ready for the end to come. Now you might like living here. Ooh, I like my life. I like my house. I like my this. I, I don't. Connie is fine, but I want to see Jesus. David Jr. is tall, but I want to see Jesus. My wallet is empty, but I want to see Jesus. And when I get to heaven, Jesus, the devil will know my name, but Jesus is going to know my name too. And I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see Jesus. I, I, I'm excited about his coming because I want to meet my guardian angel. Amen. I want to tell him thank you. 
I was a bonehead for years. And you stuck with me and protected me to get me to this point. Thank you. I, I, I always say that there's this, this, this place when, when, when Jesus comes, I want him to take me. It's to Cedar Hill Cemetery. And there at that cemetery in Bridgeton, New Jersey, there's a stone there that says Lillian Hall. March 2nd, 1910, June 1st, 1996. I want him to take me there too. So after she sees her guardian angel, she can see Jesus too. But I want to hold her hand and I want to ascend up the glory with her. And I want her to see that I didn't turn out that bad. And then <coughs> there's one more person. that I want to see because there's something about his name there's one more person I want to see and I just want to tell him two words thank you thank you thank you see if I was Spanish I would tell him gracias if I was Japanese, I would tell him, Arigato. If I was German, I'd tell him, Dankeschön. If I was French, I'd tell him, Merci beaucoup. If I was Italian, I'd tell him, Grazie. If I was Danish, I'd tell him, Tog. If I was Hawaiian, Mahalo. If I was a uh, 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 Swedish, I'd tell him talk. But because I'm me and no words will be enough for me to tell him what I want him to say, what I want to say, I may not say nothing. I may just come up to him. With tears flowing down my face because I can't describe all the gratitude that I feel when I was lost and sinking in sin, looking for my way out. And Je Jesus, Jesus stepped in and picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I just want to kneel at his feet and tell him, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I don't know about you, but today, October 24th, 2009, I'm ready to write my name in Satan's guest book because mm -hmm. I want him to know who I am. I'm ready to write it all, and I'm going to write every letter, every word. I spell out senior too, S-E-N-I-O-R. Because I want, I want that brother to know who I am. And I want you, starting today, starting today, I know you got Jesus. Yay, Jesus. We go to church. We Christians. That's nice. But we going to the next level. We going to the next level in this thing. Kobe Bryant is my son's favorite basketball player. That cat has got better every year. He's incredible. 
Head and shoulders above everybody else. LeBron's close, but he's head and shoulders above everybody else because he works on his game constantly because he wants to get better. If you want to get better in this game called life, if you want to get better in this battle against Satan, then you have to work on your game. And the more you work on your game, more your name starts flashing like those neon lights that you see on the street and the devil begins to fear you he begins to think hey 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 maybe that's somebody maybe on that J Street there's some people in there that I ought to be a little concerned about now hey don't think it's gonna be easy when he know your name look what happened to Paul he was shipwrecked a couple of times got stoned they even cut off his head. Don't mean things going to be easy. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be on Jesus' side than the other side. If you are in agreement with me, if you want the devil to know your name, then I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet Stand to your feet right now. Right now. I want you to, you got a message for him. Last night, I read you a letter from Satan. Tonight, we get, today, we're giving him a letter. Look at this, devil. Look, devil. Where you at? Calling you out, Mr. Devil. Where are you? Look right here in the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do you know them? You better send your people in here with your little pad and pencil to start writing down names. Because these are people that are leaving your church, Mr. Devil. And they stepping into the newness of Jesus fully knowing who they are. And you, Mr. Devil, will know what their name is. We're going to pray. Father, in the name that is above every other name, we give you praise. We are grateful for all that you do. We're so undeserving. Why in the world would you want to die for us? I don't even want to die for myself sometimes. But you look past all of that. You went through all my mess. You go through all our mess. And you work to save us anyway. I don't understand it. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Lord, we're, we're going into uncharted territory now. We're making the devil nervous. We called him out this morning. We're on our feet telling that cat, look at us. You better remember my name. I know he's not going to be happy. Jesus, huh, the devil is going to be waiting out because he got out of here. Too much Holy Ghost. When, he, he, when we go out the door, he's going to be over there. He's going to be right there by the exits. He's, gonna, he's already in some people's cars. When they go home for dinner, he's going to do some stuff to upset the situation. He, 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 I know you know the plans you have for us, Jesus, but he got some plans for us this afternoon. Because he wants you to know, I know who you are now, and I'm going to mess you up. 
But Jesus, can you do this one thing for me? Can you just do this one thing? We may get discouraged by all this constant attention, but let us just see that we're doing something right, that he's given us personal attention. And let us not weary in well-doing. Let us just know it's part of the game. But we already know who's going to win because we read the end of the book. And we know how the story ends. So although he may know our name, although he may throw everything at us but the kitchen sink, although the bills may pile up on us, although we may seem so overwhelmed by the vicissitudes of life, let us always remember that although he knows our name, you know our name too. And it's written in the palms of your hands. And no good thing will you withhold from them that walketh uprightly. I pray a special blessing on everyone under the sound of my voice. And Jesus, if perchance there is someone in this congregation that has not accepted you as their personal Savior, and they would like to do so right now. They want to be sure that the devil writes their name down in permanent marker. We're going to take two seconds and just ask Jesus that you will inspire them to just walk up here where I am. They want to make a public statement saying, Jesus, I want to marry you. Satan, I want a divorce. I don't want to be, I see, you in a, you're not the right kind of spouse. You don't really love me anyway. I want the one that loves me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, brother. Amen. Perhaps there's someone else. You, you feel the presence of God tugging at your heart. Now, those of you that are already in here and you're already members, this is when you start cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Some people, they cooperate with their stomach and say, I'm hungry, I'm ready to go. But that's what we're here for. We are here to save souls. Amen. This is what it's about. So I need you to pray. Pray that the Lord will give anyone that's struggling and wrestling right now no rest of mind, no rest of spirit until they make what is the correct decision to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. I've seen the other side. I've seen what the enemy can do. That cat tried to kill me. I don't want you on his side because he hates you. Fathers, we conclude this prayer. I'm asking your Holy Spirit not to stop its perfect work. And even after this service or throughout this week, I ask you to continue working on some man, some woman, some boy, some girl, so that they in permanent marker can write their name in Satan's registry so that he will know who they are and that they will make the devil Nervous.